0: and ask the Lord's guidance this morning as we look at a few things at his, uh, his the celebration of his life and his birth. Father, we thank you that you have loved us the way you have loved us. That you have done such radical things to retrieve us from lostness. I ask that you just open our hearts today to better understand what it is you have done for us where it is we were headed. And bring us out from underneath the rose-colored glasses through which we see that and the denial through which we see that. And help us to have a reverence and an awe and a celebration of the lengths to which you have gone to save us from an eternal separation from you. Thank you that uh, you dared to be the radical God that you are and to be that with us. I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. <clears throat> I want to start with John 1, scripture you all are all familiar with. We've read several times in this over the course of time <coughs> in this Sunday morning chapel study. As you're turning there, what I want us to look at today uh, and focus on is his beginning with us as a revolutionary. He began as a revolutionary with us uh, in very radical ways. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God, same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. So before his advent as child, His name was not Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. That is our name for him. That is the name man knows him by. His name was the Word, the Creator Word, God. And uh, He who had been God, not just equal to God, but God, Creator God, now, 2,000 years ago, was upending heaven as it had always been. Not just earth, but heaven as it had always been, and upending earth as we had always known it to be. For the first time, In heaven's history, the Word left heaven. And I just wonder what that was like. In heaven's history, which is eternity (coughs) past, the Word had never left heaven. The Word was in heaven. The Word was God. The Word was creator. So since the beginning of time, of time as we know it, since the beginning of creation as we know it, since before that, the Word had been in heaven. And so 2,000 years ago, the Word left heaven. Was there a void? I think there was some sort of ripple. There, there couldn't have been a void. But I think there was something different. And I think heaven, in some way, didn't feel the void because they were so excited about the void being filled on earth. I mean, I, I think that's that's it. Heaven, you almost have to think in human terms that there was some sort of dip in the the completed fabric of heaven. But that dip was, you know, filled by God, the Father. Because see, now the word was leaving heaven as God and coming to earth as son An eternal shift in the fabric of heaven. Not to mention an eternal shift in the climbs of earth. But he was now, for the first time in God history, first time in eternity, past, this God was becoming son, son of God, son of man. servant to man, suffering servant, lamb. He was becoming lamb of God. If you think about that, the staggering, The radical extent to which God went. And our understanding of the Trinity has shifted, has been cloaked in different garments. The Trinity in Genesis <clears throat> was God, totality, speaking the Word, Jesus as we know it, the Word. And in God, the large picture God, speaking the word, Christ as we know it, that word came forth from God from the Spirit. And the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. So we see the Trinity in Genesis 1. But that Trinity was not the Trinity we, I mean, it was the same Trinity, but it was not with the same understanding that we have now the Trinity's been clothed in different garments for us to understand it more personally. For us to now (coughs) see God in this shift. God the Father now, God the Son now, God the Holy Spirit now. Radical, a radical shift. And the fact that God was willing to go to such radical revolutionary extremes suggests to us that the peril we were in is far greater than we would ever dream. It suggests to us that the words that we use of being lost and, and living forever separated from God have lost their luster, have lost their power, that this was such a radical danger that you and I were in, a radical danger that earth was in, a radical peril, That God was willing to change everything, not just on earth, but in heaven for all time. (laughs) Take away that. There's no such thing as all time in heaven for eternity. And so here is now God as son of man, sequestering himself as embryo in the body of a human (laughs) in order to change the cataclysmic course this planet was on. We were destined to plunge like a comet in Jupiter several years ago plunged into Jupiter and Jupiter just kind of swallowed it up because it's gaseous we were destined to plunge into hell, and hell just swallow us up, but not kill us. For us to live forever in this torturous, hellish place, because now the king of, the ruler of hell is now the ruler of earth. And God was willing to do whatever he had to do to keep that from happening. And only a radical God would think up this scheme. I'll sequester myself as an embryo in the body of man. I'll just slide in to this fallen dark planet in such a way that I won't be seen or noticed. I'll be born like man. I'll become son of man and son of God. And I'll live in human flesh as man, but I'll live it perfectly. So that I can break the grip that Satan has on the soul of man. And then I'll come back into man by faith for those who by free will accept me. I'll come in to them and sequester in their soul in embryonic form. And if they want to grow me up into the fullness of Jesus Christ, now the word changed to Jesus Christ, then they will be saved, and I will be known. So we have this revolutionary that we follow, and we celebrate this amazing thing he did so many years ago. As a babe, uh, as a human, son of man, son of God, both. And so we look at what happened 2,000 years ago when this event occurred. And uh, turn to Matthew one, uh, 2, and I just want us to read what you all are so familiar with. Starting with verse 1. This God, who was creator God, who was the Word, his name now changed. You shall call him Emmanuel, Jesus. That is his name here on earth now. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. (laughs) Strange things had been occurring in the night skies for two or three, four years before this point. Three or four years before this point. Um, there was a Jewish rabbi named Abarbanel uh, about 100 years before Christ was born, predicted that when Jupiter and Saturn converge in the constellation Pisces, the Messiah will be born. And in about 4, what we now know to be 4 B.C., Jupiter and Saturn converged in the constellation Pisces three times. Now the significance of that is that the constellation Pisces, and this is evidently coming out of the Babylonian uh, influence. I'm not sure it may go back beyond that because, Gay, uh, you've been doing some research on that. And does it go back beyond the Babylonian captivity, the, the sense of Pisces as being the constellation of the house of David? It was considered the constellation of the house of David. Okay. The whole thing, the whole message of the Messiah in the stars. Okay. God's redemptive am So I'm, I'm going to get a book about this. So it may go back, but for sure it goes back to the Babylonian captivity at least. And it may go back way beyond that. Um, where Com- Pisces was considered the constellation of the house of David. And uh, Jupiter was considered the royal star. And Saturn was considered the star of the house of David, of Israel, the star of Israel. So when the royal star of Israel, the royal star and the star of Israel, converged in the constellation of the, the house of Israel, a barbanel predicted that the Messiah would be born, and in 4 BC, that happened three times over the course of the year. So you have these, these wise men, probably from the Babylonian area, um, not sure, may not have been. But they were seeing these things happen in the skies. Maybe they were aware of a Barbbonell's prediction. certainly many of the people of that time were. So you had a messianic fervor going on at the time, surrounding the, the recent years around the birth of Christ. And you had these, these men, these astronomer, astrologer uh, men, um, looking into the skies, and they saw this strange sight, and they knew in some way, whether God directly communicated that to them or indirectly communicated to them, but they saw that as the star of the king. And they followed it. And as you know the story, we'll continue reading in uh, verse 3. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So this word went like wildfire through the city of Jerusalem. Probably because this, everything else had been set up to be anticipating that something Messiah-like was going to be happening because of the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation Pisces. And when he had gathered Herod all the chief priests and scribes of the people together he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet And you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least are are not the least among the princes of Judah for out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them um, to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And uh, when they were come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So the only appropriate response of these wise men uh, to this Christ child was to give him gifts from their treasures. And so as you and I um, approach Christmas and are in this season, I really think it may be important for you and me to think through what gift we may need to give to Him. You know, we're we're going out, finishing our Christmas shopping. We're thinking in terms of giving gifts to all of our family members, uh, our loved ones, and friends. Um, So we're buying gifts and giving gifts to everyone but the one who came as the greatest gift of all. And it seems to me that maybe as um, a response to this revolutionary event in the life of the world, and in our own lives, maybe it's important for you and me to be thinking in terms of what gift do I need to give to Jesus this year? What gift do I need to give? And one of the scriptures that comes to my mind is in John 14 that may give some focus for our thinking and our reflection uh, on this. In John 14, with uh, I'll... Um, I'm going to start with 20 as a lead in just because of what we have been talking about with the shift that came. And and by the way, that shift, as I've mentioned in here before, uh, alluded to here in verse 20. At that day, you shall know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Here's that clandestine sequestering of God in us and us in God. But that That shift uh, was not just as Son of Man, Savior of Man, but then it became brother to man. (laughs) God, Creator God, now brother to us, now sharing an eternal inheritance. That in a sense he created. So he let go of that inheritance, came to earth, and God the Father gives it back to him. But it is an inheritance that is shared by those who believe. Those whose sins crucified him will now be, he will now share his eternal inheritance, which was never an inheritance before he came to earth. It was just his. It was his. He set that aside to be our brother as well as our savior and to live in the new earth as a shared ruler co-ruler joint heir with us so there's that's part of this eternal Shift that has come in the fabric of heaven for us. So now he's speaking of the Father. And remember what we've covered before in John 5 uh, 19 and, and uh, 31, where he says, in this now, this position. Verily I say unto you, the son of man, son of man, can do nothing of himself, creator of all things that were made. Not one thing that exists in the universe for all time exists without him having made it. And now he's saying, as son of man, I can do nothing of myself, but what I see the father do... For what things soever he does, that also the Son of Man does. And in verse 30, uh, I said 31, is verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing, for I, as I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So now he is over here in chapter 14 of John talking about him being in the Father, and he in us, and we in him, bringing us into a oneness. He that, verse 21, has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Verse 23, if a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will will come unto him and make our abode with him." So, as I'm thinking about uh, what gift you and I individually need to consider giving to him from our treasures. It's not from the, it's not the runt of the litter, it's the unblemished lamb. It's not from what the leftovers are that we give to him. It is from our treasures. And you and I have been talking for uh, three, at least three weeks, four weeks, on us being called to be wind walkers. Uh, John 3 No one knows where the wind comes from or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We've been looking at Christ in this revolutionary aspect, that he just went where the Spirit led him, where the Father, where he saw the Father, he went. It was not his agenda. It was his Father's. Uh, We've been talking about how the first century church walked this way, uh, moving with just... Abruptly on the spur of the moment. Not having to say, as many of us would today, well, you know, give me five minutes or give me me two hours to finish.